the next little, well, really until, until this class concludes at the end of this month. So, um, we read from John chapter 20, 1 through 8, the account of the resurrection. And we also read a number of passages that talk about the fact that the resurrection is central to our faith because it's central to several things that cannot be compromised. The deity of Jesus, the hope we have in life after death, and the fact that God has power over life and death. So we mentioned several of those. So we talked about some of the ways that skeptics try to come up with to uh, insinuate that the resurrection didn't really happen. And it's imperative that they do that. In fact, a savvy skeptic will always go there. Because if they, if they argue against everything else in Scripture but concede that Jesus is resurrected from the dead, they've already lost. Because guess what? The rest of the Scripture is for sure true and reliable if Jesus is resurrected from the dead. Because he has power over everything. If he can do that. So I think life and death is so intriguing too when you think about this because to me this subject shows more the difference between man and our minute intellect compared to God. Because man, compared to everything else in this universe, man is such, so far and above. He's the crowning achievement, mankind, of our God. Because the things we can do um, I, was, I was reading an article this week about our new, you know, we have a, uh, we have a sixth armed force now, right? We had Army, Navy, Air Force, Marines, and Coast Guard. Now we have Space Force that I believe has one employee as of right now, which is the four-star general that was transferred from the Air Force to be the representative on the chief, Joint Chiefs of Staff of Space Force. And... <laughs> My brother, we were eating dinner with him and his family the other day. He said, oh, our country's safe now because just in case aliens invade, we're going to be ready. And I don't think that's probably the reason for it, but whatever. Because first of all, I feel confident aliens will not invade. Because I don't know. I don't care. I think it's possible that there's life in the universe, but there's no higher form of life than you. Because that would mean they're a higher form than that in this universe that is made in the image of Almighty God. So I don't worry about invaders of the third kind or whatever that is, you know, or, or Independence Day, although that is a very entertaining old movie. I don't worry about that happening because of the fact that that would mean if they have a higher intellect and more technological advancement, they would be a higher life form or at least more intelligent than mankind. That's not possible. That's just not possible. So, getting off into a little bit of sci-fi here. Sorry about that. But when we think about life and death, man can do so many things. They can extend your life in so many ways. I just read recently in the last few weeks, they're making massive breakthroughs in cancer. You know, there, there may be a time 15 years from now that unless a person's very aged, cancer may not take many people's lives anymore because they're making, I mean, massive, incredible breakthroughs. Think about what we've conquered. Smallpox used to kill millions 
And now we're so concerned about a virus that's killed 300 people in a population of 2 billion people. I mean, not that I don't think that's a bad thing. It is. But the thing is, is influenza will kill a lot more people than that in this country this year, right? But we're so used to not being threatened by that. And why aren't we? Because, I mean, the whole thing about vaccines, how brilliant. I mean, man came up with that. When we think about viral medications, viruses don't respond to antibiotics, which antibiotics themselves, that may have been the greatest invention in the history of the world, right? I mean, think about it. Before, your body just had to fight off bacteria. In the time of Napoleon, only 7 out of 10 children reached the age of 10. Go look at old, old cemeteries and see what most of the headstones are. See what most of the graves are. They're babies. They're little children. I mean, we, man has done incredible. We can go into outer space. It, it's, it, it's incredible. I get on an airplane 60,000 miles a year and travel at 500 plus miles an hour, 30,000 feet over the earth. And it's apparently not helicopters. I mean, feel bad for Kobe Bryant's family. That's tragic. But for the most part, air travel, isn't that incredible? And the thing you're flying in weighs hundreds of tons. And they get it through the air at 500 miles an hour. You guys who build cars for a living, engineers, some of the things you work on, when Bill Gaw, before he went to working hard for the government, when Bill Gaw went, that was a joke, by the way, no offense but to government workers, but when he came, he would come over and show me, tell me the little things they were working on and it blows my mind. A paint that changes colors, right? Bill, when you turn a dial or whatever, put a different current through it. Incredible. But we can't make life. And what's funny, so let's say that something stops your heart and you die. I mean, there's your corpse. But nothing was majorly damaged. That can happen. You, you can die and nothing's majorly damaged, right? All your components are there. Why can't we just make that corpse alive again? Because there's something there that's not physical, folks. That's the only reasonable explanation. Man is powerless when it comes to death. He can avoid it. He can cheat it. But he cannot defeat it. He can't. If Jesus is the master of death and life, then he is the master of everything. And the skeptics know that. And so they'll make up all these theories as to what happened that could be perceived or spun into a lie about the resurrection. The first is the disciples stole the body. That is by far the most prolific, the most promoted of all of them. And we talked about this last time. You remember we, we talked about Roman soldiers? Roman soldiers were the most elite fighting force this world's ever known. They were the first professional army. They were very, very, very serious about their duty. They lived their entire life in the course of the legion. And you did not lose a soldier. What was going to happen to the Philippian jailer? Who's going to take his own life because it, to lose his, his, those in his custody would have meant his own life 
in a much more agonizing way, and possibly his families. I mean, it's serious business. So these guards guarding the tomb, we prove that they're not temple guards. They don't work for the, for the, for the Sanhedrin. They work for Pilate. Pilate himself was under great scrutiny because why? Pilate didn't want to put Jesus to death. That's clear, isn't it, from Scripture? He didn't want to do that. He liked him. Yeah, I'm sure he thought he was a nut, you know, the things Jesus talked about, but he liked him. And he was like, what's this man done worthy of death? It's when they said, we have no king but Caesar. And they said that Jesus is calling himself king. Pilate, because he's under great political scrutiny, history teaches us at that time, because he was appointed to his position by a man who had been killed because he tried to have an uprising against the emperor. That... I mean, you talk about being under a microscope. And this whole thing, if they were to start getting around Jerusalem and get back to Rome, Pilate let a man go who was trying to usurp the power of the emperor. Pilate wasn't going to let that happen. They knew what button to push. So how serious are those guards going to be knowing they have to answer to Pilate? about keeping that body safe. Are they going to fall asleep on the job? Uh -uh. No chance. But yet, we know what happened from the biblical account. So, if the while we were sleeping theory were true, how could the disciples have, think about this list of questions, slip past the guards without waking somebody up? They're soldiers. How heavy do soldiers sleep? Even if they did sleep, how heavy do soldiers sleep? And we're not talking about weekend warrior soldiers. We're talking about the Roman legions who spent their life fighting the barbarian hordes and the Gauls and the Parthians and some of the history's most vicious and warlike people. Huh? And the elephants, yeah. I mean, the, the legions fought against... Um, who was it? Hannibal. And the, the, the words from Carthage? Hannibal from Carthage. I mean, in his legion of elephants. I mean, these are soldiers. Serious, hardened soldiers. And so even if they did fall asleep, which we know they didn't, because that's a death sentence. But if they had, what's the chance that these bumbling fishermen snuck past them? Well, that's pretty slim. Unlikely and Certainly not reasonable. What about, how did they move the huge stone without waking anybody up? I mean, we're not talking a, you know, it's not a, a, a river rock, right? It's a stone that has to be rolled away. Scraping on stone. No. Narrowed into a, into a yeah. It was square like a door, but the part that went in was like a cork, and that was common. Yeah, that's easy to move without waking anybody up. <laughs> not, no, not at all. Okay, how about um, how did they unwrap the body without waking anybody up? And how did they carry the body out 
without waking anybody up. All of these things are completely and utterly unreasonable in this whole concept that they did it while these soldiers were sleeping. First of all, it's unreasonable to, to say that they were sleeping. And then you had all these things they had to get done without waking a hardened warrior from his sleep who knew he wasn't supposed to be sleeping. It, it's just, it, it couldn't be. Yes. Well, that's what she was just saying, that, that if it were a rectangular stone, they would, it would taper and they'd put, fit it right into the, you know, like, you know, it, well, everybody understands, you know, if it's tapered in to a, to a larger hole, then if you put it in there, then it seals tight, tight, seals tight. Okay, so there is no way that that happened. It's an unreasonable thing to assume. Yes. A great what? Yeah. Impossible for them to have slept through all this. Impossible. They were. Yeah. I mean, these aren't brave 007 disciples, right? I mean, they're not experts at espionage and stealth. It's unreasonable. It's unreasonable. Okay, the second thing they they claim is that the Jewish officials stole the body. So uh, what? That's dumb. Yeah, but that's what they say. So another theory is that Jesus, the Jews, moved the body to another place to keep the disciples from um, going and and trying to steal the body. So this one gets even more a little nuts. Is that so? The Jews moved him. So there's, a, so there's several questions that are kind of obvious on this, okay? So several reasons make this theory even more absurd, extremely more absurd than the first. Number one, that action would have been completely contrary to their purpose. They wanted him to stay dead. Remember, that was their goal, as stated to Pilate, was that the body not be moved. That's what they, they the reason this is guarded is because they didn't want the disciples to claim that Jesus was resurrected from the dead. So why would they do something that was completely opposite and supported a contrary claim to what they were trying to prove? They wouldn't do that. Secondly, why would the whole bribery situation have occurred with the soldiers who were working for them if themselves they had taken the body? Would not the guards have already known the plan? But remember, the guards run to the, to the Sanhedrin and said, we don't know what to do because, well, that doesn't work. The guards would have to have been in collusion on this. It's the only way it could have worked. And thirdly, and this is just the most obvious, just a few short weeks, the city was seething with news of the resurrection of Jesus. The Jewish officials were aghast at the charges of the apostles that they had killed their own Messiah. If they had the body, why didn't they produce it? That would have stopped this whole Christianity thing just like that, right? All they had to do is say, no, okay, this has been fun while it lasted for you, but we got the body. Let me show you. That would have been quite a dramatic way to prove their point, wouldn't it? So why didn't they do that and have it? They did not have it. So 
If they had the body of Jesus, they would have provided it and they would have stopped Christianity dead in its tracks and we would not be here this morning. Jewish officials stole the body, the height of absurdity. I mean, somebody can believe that, but they can't believe It's unbelievable. Okay, so finally, the other one that's fairly common, probably more common than number two, not as common as number one, is called the swoon theory. The swoon theory. Perhaps this one's the most absurd of all. It's a view that Christ never actually died, but that he swooned on the cross and revived in the coolness of the tomb. You've heard this one? No, okay, yeah. So Jesus, he didn't die because, um, you know, they say that he, you know, he collapsed, he, he fell asleep or whatever, or he you know, was so wounded that he passed out and that people were mistaken that he was dead. So they buried him. And in the coolness of the tomb, his body recovered somewhat from a stab wound in his side and hands and feet and being scourged 39 times and more than that. And then he recovered. And so then he just kind of snuck out of the tomb. Yeah. That rap, yeah, we're going to talk about that. That's the theory that intelligent PhDs promote. Well, they would have said that his heart had just slowed down to a very slow beat, so his blood never um, went into rigor mortis or anything like that. So, it, that, but he he gained consciousness again in the coolness of the tomb. That's what they'd say. Okay, so some serious serious problems with this stretching theory. Uh, first of all, who'll take Mark 15, 44, and 45 when we get there? Mark 15, 44, and 45. Thank you, Don. Someone else, John 11, 43, and 44. Thank you, Courtney. And then someone else, Mark 16, 4. Mario, thank you. Mark 16, 4 when we get there. Okay, so it's really absurd. Some, some serious problems. Number one, Pilate was surprised at Christ's quick death and wanted confirmation he was dead. Pilate, now, did Pilate send, like, see a kid run by the palace, say, hey, go make sure that guy's dead? No, he sent somebody who knew what it meant to be dead. Someone who was qualified to say he's dead. Pilate was concerned about it. He then summoned a centurion an expert who was there and was then satisfied about Jesus' death. Mark 15, 44, and 45. Pilate was surprised to hear that uh, he should have already died. In summoning the centurion, he asked him whether he was already dead. And when he learned from the centurion that he was dead, he granted the corpse to Joseph. Okay, so they double-checked he was dead. You see? And a centurion, that is a the equivalent of a, of a captain who's over a company, a centurion was over 100 legionnaires. He is a warrior who has built his way to that position and that rank through killing people. These folks know and had wounded soldiers he's cared for and buddies and probably been wounded himself. This guy knows death. He knows death. He is, he is the, I don't know, he is the, Sword of death. 
He's the bringer of death. He knows death. He confirms to Pilate, this man is dead. Okay? So, number two, after being battered and abused, how did Jesus free himself from the grave clothes? Ron said it well. He said, how would he get out of a straitjacket? This is not an easy job. John 11, 43 through 44. Why didn't he tell Lazarus? Lazarus, unbind yourself. Can't be done. I mean, this they would bury, they would, what we would think of as mummifying, although it wasn't like the process the Egyptians used. But when they would bury someone in a tomb like this, they would wrap them tightly. They would tie their hands. They would tie their feet to try to preserve the body. And they would wrap them tightly. Jesus, okay, not only would he have been difficult for anyone perfectly healthy to get out of that, What about someone who had just passed out from the exhaustion of being scourged with 39 stripes with a Roman cat of nine tails, which had never, was never done to those who were being crucified. Did you know that? Never. They didn't ever scourge you and then crucify you. Because scourging was like what we would think of as a a long prison sentence instead of the death penalty. Okay, It was like the punishment short of death. Pilate scourged Jesus to save him from the cross. It did not work, but he, he wanted him scourged to satisfy their bloodlust. So he scourged Jesus. Scourging takes you within an inch of death. Scourging involves a whip, a leather corded braided whip that has shards of bone, shards of metal embedded in it, and they take and they... You're bent over, they strike your back, they pull it, and flesh comes with it. 39 times. And they didn't do 40 because they determined that over 40 kills a man. So the rule was 40. But it was so severe to go beyond 40 that the one doing the lashing received 40 himself if he went to 41. So they stopped counting at 39, just to be sure. That's how serious the Romans were about this. Jesus had endured more than men ever endured when they were cursed. He had been beaten. He had carried his own cross, fell under the weight. He's already so weakened. So he's already lost so much blood. He's had nails driven through his hands and through his feet. And he's had a spear ran into his side, most likely into his lungs, so that that water and blood would come forth. And now he's bound so tightly that Lazarus, we don't get any indication when Lazarus is resurrected, he's anything other than a strong, healthy man. Lazarus can't get himself free. But now that guy who collapsed under the trauma of it all, he can set himself free? It's absurd. It's sheer absurdity. And then, number three, how could the battered of battered Christ have rolled away the great stone or if it's square pushed it out without any assistance Mark 16 verse 4 but when they looked up they saw that the stone which was very large 
we saw that the stone had been rolled away, which was very large. So it would be difficult for any man to do that, if possible at all. But what about a man as battered and beaten and bruised as Jesus? Because you understand, their assertion is he's not the son of God, he's just a man. So they're saying he's just a man. So a man who'd been through 39 lashes, who'd been through all of that, he could roll that gigantic stone away and the guards don't even know it? This is, it's just sheer absurdity. Mark 16, 4, you just read that. Okay, number four. How could a mere man, which is what they're trying to call him, have endured the crucifixion, done all of the above, and then appeared to his disciples as the perfect picture of health and divine power sufficient to inspire them to conquer the world? I mean, don't forget the human factor in this. He appears to the disciples, and they're so committed to what he is and what he's done that they give their lives for this cause. Nobody, Downing Thomas doesn't say after he sees Jesus, well, I just don't know if he really died. No, Downing Thomas only doubts before he sees Jesus. Once they see Jesus, the game is over, right? All said and done, the book is done. It's, 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 the page is turned. It's all closed. I mean, they're, they're, they're in. They're in. He was dead. Now he's alive. And he's vigorous. He's strong. He's alive. Not half dead. You see, these are such stretches. So, from the evidence, it seems quite clear. There is no reasonable explanation for the empty tomb other than the fact that he is risen and that he lives. It cannot be argued away. Okay? So, we're getting ready to move to another lesson on this about the significance of the third day. Before we do... Anybody have any questions, thoughts, just your comments? Yes, back here. Uh, what about the hundred pounds of spices that they put on the body? Would that be the same amount of spices that they put on the body? Would that be toxic in any way? Or? Well, yeah, um, the, that's, yeah. That, that, there's so many things about this that that would just be one more thing. And there's so many things about this that make absolutely no, it makes no sense. It's not real. I can consider, I mean, I have to have faith. I don't have proof. I have evidence. This is evidence. I don't have proof. So I will listen to someone who wants to make a somewhat reasonable argument. These are not reasonable arguments. They're just grasping. Do you understand? It's more reasonable to say, well, there's a divine creator, but the Bible is not his, his you know, and Jesus was not it. But Jesus, once you admit he was a historical character and that he died on the cross, because, I mean, history confirms that. Once you admit that, to get out of the resurrection is really hard. God gave us lots of evidence for the resurrection. Okay? Any other? Uh, John, you had a comment? Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Well, and his hands and feet. Those. That's right. So this was an after-the-fact thing. But everybody talks about that. But it's, that's really not the blood that we're talking about. No, it was after the fact. It was evidence of his, that he was dead. Uh, but the time factor also, uh, you know, it was the sixth hour, around the sixth hour when he was uh, crucified. And uh, uh, he wasn't, he wasn't uh, put into the ground until it was night. So he was he was there for quite a while. It wasn't like they as soon as he died they took him down and off he went. It was a while. There was some time factor in there that we normally don't think about. That if he was just passed out, as they they talk about, uh, the the idea of that uh, him coming to would have been. Well, they wanted him off the cross before the Sabbath day started. Oh, yeah. so. anybody else? Those are good comments. Thank you. Yes. Well, sure. I mean, it's written in the New Testament, but the um, reason we haven't gone into it is that's more, there's not a whole lot of denial that he died. Okay? So, since we're focusing on evidences, um, most skeptics actually believe he died because that's written in the histories of Rome. That's written in the histories of the Jews. That's written in Josephus. All the things, in other words, they wouldn't be able to say that there was a Marcus Aurelius or that Rome had praetors and Rome had legates and Rome had senators and Rome had, because the same histories that say all those things that we use to teach history of the ancient world say that Jesus died on the cross. So yeah, there's just not a lot of, we don't have to really argue that much because that doesn't destroy their argument. What destroys their argument that he's just a man, a good man, they'll say, a great prophet maybe, but that he's just a man is that he's resurrected. Because all men die. The, the real crux of the matter is he resurrected. I would think they were afraid of him. In a lot of different ways, look at all the miracles he performed. Look at the power of God. I'm Anyone else? Okay, let's talk about the significance. Oh, Ron. There's one other theory that I hesitate to bring up, but there is one other theory. Um, and this is a theory given by people who don't believe the Bible anyway. Uh -huh. uh, they call it time to be Christian, but they don't believe the Bible. And that was that uh, they just took it by down and put the ditch and it was eaten by dogs. So that's a theory that's out there, too. Yeah. Uh -huh. Well, he would still have the same questions, the same issues with these. Well, then why did those men change the world? Well, yeah, he you had know? both questions. But the other question was, uh, uh, it, 
One thing that that you have to be careful of when you're talking with people like this is going to the Bible to prove their theory wrong is going to be kind of tough because they don't believe what the Bible says anyhow. Exactly. So saying, well, it says this in Matthew, they'll say, oh, I don't care. That's what the early church said. That's not what really happened. Yeah, but they cannot, but they can't do that with Tacitus, and they can't do that with Josephus. That's that's exactly right, and that's why I keep mentioning those ancient histories. I mean, if you just use the Bible to prove something to someone who doesn't believe in the Bible, you're not going to get anywhere, right? So that's a good point, Ron. So that's why these things I'm sharing with you are based upon historical records from outside of the Christian or Christian faith. Now, some of them are from Jewish faith historical records, but the Jews had an interest in not promoting Christianity, right? So that when we talk about these skeptics, absolutely, they're going to, you can't turn to scripture to, I'm just going turning to scripture in each of these things to show you what happened and how that matches up with the historical account. John? Yeah. It's not just he believes, he really believes. That's right, my Lord and my God. Well, I was going to dive into this, but we started a little late. I don't know whose fault that is. Maybe the preacher's fault. Maybe. You know, you would think that you know, Jesus rising from the dead, man rising from the dead, there would be great celebration around the world. You know, there would be a ton of writing about it. It would just be so obvious to everybody that, hey, this man, you know, this man arose from the dead after he crucified him. Why isn't that so? And I think, I think man, it's amazing. They can go to great lengths to not believe in Jesus. They don't believe And we see that today. Look how far they go to prove. They look at the silliness that they believe in and try to prove there's no God. We see that today. So I think part of the skepticism might come from that. But at the same time, man has an incredible ability to fabricate proof for what he wants to believe. Um, it's it's, it's, it's mind-boggling. Rather than just admitting, I'm a man, and I don't know everything. I find it really interesting when I, I read a lot, and... I try to stay off of reading a lot about politics because it's frankly damaging to my faith. So I try to stay off of that. But you can't hardly help it when you're trying to read current events because some of the stuff comes in. The one that really, really gets me sometimes is the, on this subject is the climate change and all of that. And let me, let me be very clear. I don't know. Man may be contributing to some changes in this world. I don't know. It really, really doesn't bother me either way because I... I'm not, this isn't my home anyway. I mean, and I'm just not concerned. And I know how this world will be destroyed because I have faith in the scriptures. God's going to burn it up. And it's going to happen when Jesus returns. And that's when it's going to happen. So if, it's, if climate change is hearkening the return of Jesus, then amen, even so, come Lord Jesus. So I'm not concerned about it. But the the strange thing is some of the stuff I've lived through 
you know, when I was a kid, and I'll end with this, but Mount St. Helens, we lived out west, and Mount St. Helens erupted, and they, the experts told us nothing would grow there for like 500 years. You can go there right now, you can't hardly tell it ever erupted. Because, but I, they would just say, you know, we were wrong, because we're wrong about a lot of stuff, because we're just men. We're guessing. I mean, I would appreciate that. Just be honest that you do a lot of guessing. I'm not saying you're a smart, but you do a lot of guessing. I don't know. Love you guys.